Rob with four songs. Oh my gosh, a new episode. It has been a while. And yeah, you probably figured it's going to be a while before the next one. So to make sure you don't miss anything, hit that subscribe button. Follow me on Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's called now, at four songs two. That's at four songs number two. And stay up to date with me because look, you don't want to miss anything because if you did, you'd miss this fantastic interview with a returning Dom Flemons. Now, Dom Flemons is making his third appearance on this show, which just boggles my mind that someone so talented and renowned as a singer-songwriter throughout the world has decided to come back and join me for this discussion. So why is Dom coming on the show? Because he has a new record out called Traveling Wildfire. We talk about four songs from the record, Slow Dance With You, Nobody Wrote It Down, Guess I'm Doing Fine, and Songster Revival. Now, I got to say, you know, talking to Dom, it really inspired me to think back to why I really got into music in the first place. You know, I was 12 or 13. Somehow, someway, I discovered a band called The Clash. You know, they were punk rockers from England, but they had this knack for creating their own sound and blending cultures, blending reggae with punk rock and creating a whole sound of their own. And you're probably wondering, what the hell does The Clash have to do with Dr. Dom Flemons? Well, I think about it like this. Flemons has made a career unearthing and excavating songs from generations ago, turn of the century or before even, songs that most of us have never heard of, from artists most of us have never heard of. In fact, Dom's first band, the Carolina Chocolate Drops, which when you think about the amount of talent in that band, I mean, that's a whole other show. I could talk for hours about Dom and Rand and Giddens. Hubby Jenkins, Justin Robinson, Layla Michaela. I mean, it's just an embarrassment of riches and to think about how that band has launched the careers of so many talented people. But again, as I said, that could be a whole other conversation. But my point is, the Chocolate Drops were on the cutting edge of shining a light on the contributions that black musicians made to American music dating back centuries. And blending it into with hip hop and all folk music, modern blues, and again creating a sound all their own. Dom has continued to do that in his own solo albums. He's been doing this on a solo career for about ten years now, and he's just getting better and better and better. And his new album, Traveling Wildfire, is just indicative of that. But again, going back to the Clash, there's a song on Traveling Wildfire that I mentioned earlier called Songster Revival. On this song, through fate, circumstances, or whatnot, Dom has a special guest named James Fearnley. And James Fearnley, if you listened to this show before, you know, was a member of the Pogues who played the accordion. And if you know your musical history, you then know that the Pogues opened for the Clash. So there's the Clash connection. But more importantly, it dawned on me in talking to Dom about this album and this song in particular, is how closely connected Irish music is with so many types of music. 
Songs of Revival is just this beautiful little ditty. It's maybe like two and a half minutes, no words, but Dom describes it as a revival. Obviously, it's in the name, but as the dawning of a new day, as a raising of the glass after all we've been through the last three years. We're coming out of it. We're getting together. We're seeing live music again. Stuff we took for granted for years, that was taken away from us, and that was pretty wrenching. So kind of going full circle with all this, I just think back to the bands that inspired me as a kid and continue to do so now. And then I just think about how lucky I am that I got to talk to Dom Flemons, not just once, not twice, but a third time. And I got to see him twice this summer in a matter of months. And he got to chat it up a little bit. So yeah, I'm kind of at a loss for words because to talk to someone as talented and as friendly and as nice as Dom Flemons, it just, I get shivers. So I know it's not a great comparison, not an exact comparison to The Clash, but think about what these bands are famous for. Cutting edge, innovation, honoring the past, bringing it to a modern audience. No one does it better than Dom Flemons, and I'm just honored to bring him back to Four Songs. Thank you, Dom, for joining me again uh, for Four Songs. It's great to see you and great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure to be with you. Just how are things going with you for you right now? Well, things have been going pretty well, you know. It's just uh, getting adjusted into being up in the Chicago area has been been something I've been doing for the past couple of years, but I'm feeling good about it. Uh, things are opening up again. I'm starting to be able to travel a little bit more, so, hey, can't complain. So you mentioned getting out there and, and, and COVID restrictions are being eased, and the last time we talked for this show, we were actually, I think we were in Lorton, Virginia, in person, <laughs> one of the first in-person shows I'd seen since COVID. So... What's it like to kind of get back to, I guess it's normal? I don't know. I mean, sort of normal? I mean, it, it's feeling good. feels like the audiences are ready to be back in front of, a, 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 you know, on the at, at live events again. So I, I haven't seen anything wrong. It seems like things are going just about the same as they were beforehand in a way. Yeah. I mean, do you think that, there have been any lessons learned, I guess, ever, I guess, just thinking back about the last couple of years, has, has anything fundamentally changed from due to COVID or are things just kind of slowly but surely getting back to where they were before? Well, it seems like things are getting back to the way they were before. The one thing that has changed is that there has been a lot more technology that's been introduced into the, into the mix. And so they're based on the venues I'm going to, I'm finding a lot of venues are having like live streaming options or they're having, just a whole bunch of different uh, ways of handling putting on the shows. And the other thing then I noticed is at the merch table, people are much more interested in streaming than uh, getting physical copies of the record. So that's definitely changed too. Is that good or bad for you as an artist? Well, I mean, it's always bad. You know, you kind of want to, you kind of want to be able to sell something to somebody, you know, and, and also to make sure that the music is definitely in their hand compared to, you know, just banking on the them going home and streaming it. Well, so we're here to talk about your your latest album, Traveling Wildfire, which I came out in March. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we'll be talking about four songs in particular. I think your first single was "Slow Dance with You," and then a couple others. Nobody wrote it down. Guess I'm doing fine, and then "Songs to Revival." But when did this? Just kind of getting a general overview for the album, though. When did this start coming together for you? Was this like a current pandemic thing, or prior to well, that? This was something that started to come together around 2021, and uh, I was 
bringing together just some new different ideas that I that I hadn't thought to do before. You know, a lot of times I've done material that was just other people's material, reimagining old songs and traditional songs. And I decided this time I wanted to go for uh, doing a, an album that was focused on original material. And so I decided to push that into the forefront instead. Yeah, because you talked a lot on these, in their promo material for the album that it reflects different phases of your life. And I'm just wondering if you can kind of expand on that a little bit and whether that kind of makes us almost a, a concept record, if it's kind of going back through things you've been through. Well, and I guess in some ways it, it goes through different phases of the pandemic where there was a moment when uh, things got very quiet. There are other times when uh, uh, there was a lot of movement and action, but it, there, it wasn't done with movement. It was done with the mind. And so I found myself going into uh, a lot of different, uh, you know, movements of thinking of why I got into music, what drives me to do music, and and then also what are the things that I want to present out to a, a public audience, you know, now that uh, things have changed a whole bunch. And so mm -hmm. that was sort of where the material ended up landing, you know. And, like, I, I wanted to show people, for one, that, that I had a, a little bit of a beautiful country music in in my in my heart at that time so that was that's why i ended up using songs like slow dance with you to sort of show a little bit of those sort of roots and then also a little bit of a country blues with songs like big money blues and and old desert road i wanted to show that yeah i mean i really think you cover at least for me i think this may be your most expansive album just in terms of the ground that you cover i mean you talked about the the country blues and then you know almost a slightness with you was almost like a waltz and then you've got like the, the irish tune at the end that kind of irish real feeling i mean is that do you, do you see that as one of your more diverse i mean you you've covered a lot always covered a lot of ground but to me this just feels very expansive well, I think so. I think in many ways, one of the things that just changed it was that I decided that I just wanted to go headlong into how how far could I expand out on a single record. And I didn't try to limit myself in any way like I did with Black Cowboys, where it was a very specific, singular concept. So I, I decided on this one, I wanted to go headlong into seeing how far I could expand out and how far I could move within the spectrum of music that I play. And so I felt like I covered a lot of ground on this one. And of course, I had some wonderful musicians join me along the way. And I had a wonderful producer, Ted Hutt, working with me. So I was also able to funnel all of my energy into the project and then let the, let the team of people I had with me uh, uh, help guide the different ways that the songs ended up developing in the end. Hmm. And we'll get... To the to the songs in a second, but I do want I did want to mention that you, as you said earlier, this is one of the, the first albums that has mostly original music, and I wonder how how did that impact how you kind of approach the whole package, just with production and just kind of if if it you if it was harder to do because it's your material or if it's I don't know I'm just kind of wondering it just what that how it changed how you, if it changed it at all if not. Well, with this one, it was great to have the production of uh, with Ted Hutt, so that I could um, I could really just figure out ways to use this original material because I had a lot around, 
but I, I was able to whittle it down with Ted from about 30 songs down to mm. the, uh, the 15 that we've got on the record. And with this one, it was, I really wanted to see how edgy I could, how modern I could make the sounds while still sounding very uh, traditional in one, one sense as well. You know, like when it came to a song like, like If You Truly Love Me, you know, I wanted to have that pedal steel sound. And so when we had Matt Penn in the studio, it was really a, wonderful to be able to sit with him and, and sort of work out the way that we would make the, that song sound. And so we did that. Um, one big part of the underlying rhythm of the whole album is that I, I made tracks of marching bass drum. So I, I played a, a rhythmic pattern on the marching bass drum and we built a lot of the songs over that marching bass drum pattern. Some of the songs like Saddle It Around or, or um, Nobody Wrote It Down or even Traveling Wildfire, ones where you can hear the bass drum very, very distinctly and clearly. But we use that for a lot of the material so that we would get a very different sort of sound than I have on other records where I haven't done that. Yeah, I think overall there is a, I don't, I mean, a stark sound to it, very sparse, but at the same time you do get as we'll talk about in some of the songs that there is that kind of traditional Dom Fleming's folk feel to it, but it, there's definitely a modern element to it, which is hard to do. And um, so hats off to, to you for pulling it off. We can start out with Slow Dance With You, which is the album opener. And as I said earlier, I mean, to me, this is as about as traditional of a waltz as you can get. Even I think kind of saw you play at the the Lincoln Cottage. You introduced us as as a song when you played it as a way to bring to kind of bring people out of the pandemic and just give people something happy. Did I did I hear that correctly, or is that kind of the, the theme of the song is just happiness? <laughs> well, definitely, that one is is all about just opening up and being vulnerable. And that was one of the things that I I thought about as people were sort of opening out of the pandemic. As I started to see a lot of the audiences coming back in to uh, the live performance space. I just found that they, folks just weren't sure where everybody was at with things. And so I thought that, that Slow Dance With You was a great way to be able to show like openness and, and vulnerability and where people can just come together even for a slow dance. And that was one of the things that I wanted to accomplish with that song. And that's why it ended up being the very first one on the record. Cause I figured that if anybody could get through that song, they'd want to get through the rest of the record. And so that was one of the things that drove me in that way. I want to pull you close and slow dance with you, darling. I ain't the perfect man But I see the sun's coming up And you're lovely wrapped in dawn Darling, take my hand Take your time, no rush We've got the band all night Forget the world, it's just you and I Ain't got no expectations, got no questions to ask. I think my favorite line is the one, we got the band all night, which is funny for me because I just think you are the band. I mean, you play so many instruments. 
and that was like that rings true in many ways there <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Well, yeah, that was one I, that I, I'd written that one back in 2008. And so it was great to bring that one into the forefront and finally get it on a record because I had had it around for quite a bit of time, but it just hadn't made its way onto a record yet. I'm always curious about songs like that, that you kind of just have in your back pocket. And then the moment feels right. Did, did, the, did it change much over time, just musically or even lyrically? Well, it had, you know, especially lyrically with where there's talks, talk of like, you know, taking the fear from your eyes and welcomeness and, and also the acknowledgement of, uh, of loss between two people. Someone, I'm missing someone too, but it ain't about them tonight. It's about two lost talks and a bucket full of tears that are being left outside tonight. Cause I wanna pull you close and slow dance with you. Darling, I ain't the perfect man. Because some, sometimes the loss isn't just a breakup. It, sometimes it's a loss of um, of family members, or I mean, wh whoever it might be. And so I wanted it to be a open-ended song in a lot of different ways for that. And I've just found that it's proven true with each year that's passed by. The next song that jumped out to me, and unfortunately we can only talk about four, otherwise we'd be here for hours <laughs> talking about this album, but uh, nobody wrote it down. And we talked, you referenced this one earlier. It does have a very, to me, this has a very different mood entirely. It has a kind of an almost ethereal sound and a, kind of stark sound and it's obviously this this one seems pretty personal for you and just kind of curious from your perspective obviously as the writer i mean what did this song mean to you and how did it when how did it come together for you well this one was an interesting one because it's one of the first times i've had a co-write on one of my records so uh, this was co-written by a fellow named carl gustafson and then also a, a harmonica player um, billy branch and so we wrote this one as a song that was a part of a conceptual album called Moja, a musical saga. And so the original concept is, it talks about a man that is um, an African-American man who can, uh, is talking about his family's history going back 10 generations, going back to Africa. And so Nobody Wrote It Down comes from midway through the saga. And so for Nobody Wrote It Down, it's, it tells a whole lineage of this man's story going all the way from slavery times all the way into the current moment. And it was one of the things that we wanted to do because a lot of the West, Black Western history, it wasn't written down. And so kind of dovetailing from what I did in Black Cowboys, it was a sort of way to be able to talk and reinvigorate this, the discussion about Black Cowboys, but also take it to another level. Because of course, since I did Black Cowboys in 2018, there's been a lot of... Um, modern popular culture that's taken on the black cowboys idea and they've created a whole bunch of different things from tv shows to movies and everything like that and so when i had this song nobody wrote it down from this wonderful project i figured that i'd like to take my own hand and try to adapt it and modify it into something i could do in the studio <laughs> Great-great-granddaddy was a runaway slave 
noose around his neck if he be found. Great great granddaddy rode for Pony Express, but nobody rode it down. Great granddaddy was a buffalo soldier. In the Platte River, he almost drowned. Took an arrow through his left shoulder. And so I created almost like a whole movie type atmosphere for this this track. And I had the chance also to use a, a wonderful new instrument I've had in my collection, which is this great 1967 Hofner electric guitar. And so I have that that I'm playing as the um, main guitar that I'm using. And yeah, we were able to get some really great sounds out of that one. And, you know, the stark bass drum and, and uh, even this Fender electric, there's a little bit of electric guitar work that I'm putting putting to use uh, a little bit everywhere on that track. Yeah, it has almost a new young vibe in a sense. And even in some of the the background noises that kind of feels like there's like a heave ho or a hey ho. Yeah, that was something that when we were recording it, especially in the in the middle section, uh, Ted Huddy was asking me if there was any sort of like hey ho that I could do. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I, hmm. I could come up with something. So I I got my sort of war, you know, got my, my war sort of uh, backgrounds. Hey, ho, you know, uh, and so that was, that was great to be able to put that on, on that track. powerful song and is is it is it songs like this are they hard to, to to are they hard to write emotionally do you, do you think well this one wasn't that hard to write emotionally i i came into it where i i found that the structure going with the words came together quite easily uh, because the verses um carl had put a lot of effort into those lyrics and so i was able to put the the music into sections so that it would tell each of the stories individually, but it would also be a very exciting number, you know, especially with that that sort of minor minor key sort of pattern that I put together on on the song. I I found that that was going to be a great way to tell the story while still keeping very engaged going forward, because the the song just sort of moves at a at a galloping pace and it just builds up steam. But yet, at the same time, it never is uh, going out of control. It, it's very, mm-hmm. very calm and stable within itself. Yeah. So that was it, that was that, and I just wanted the, the words to, you know, hit you hardest with the emotions, especially when you get a verse like the 
the, close to the last one, the one about the daddy's brother was a railroad porter, and you get that image of the boiler uh, blowing up and the fire uh, getting ready to overtake the lady, and then the, the fellow saves her. You know, it's 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 quite an action-packed song. And then the way you kind of wrap it up at the end, covering the history again, I think just it, it's poignant and definitely heavy hitting. And um, how often have you used the electric guitar? As I was, I was that jumped out at me. Just listen to it again. I've used the electric guitar just a little bit, like on my album Prospect Hill. I used a little bit of electric guitar on that one, but I haven't ever really taken the time to really do a lot of electric work just because uh, it requires a lot more equipment and just when i first started out i just never wanted to have all that equipment you know hampering me down from uh, playing the music but just like uh, just like putting together the material for this album traveling wildfire i really wanted to try some very different stuff i wanted to try some different experimentation with sound and that's why the electric guitar ended up being a big part of this one here I think there's about three or four of them where I have electric guitar as the main instrument, including like um, like Dark Beauty, for example. That one has electric guitar on it. And uh, also It's Cold Inside is another one as well that has a lot of electric guitar on it. And those are things that just always remind me of some of my, my, um, my favorite albums that come from like the mid to late 1960s and early 70s where you have that nice jangly guitar, and that was something that I really wanted to get on this one here. Well, sticking electric guitar, uh, we'll move to I guess I'm doing fine. I just mentioned that because I know Dylan, when he went electric, everyone freaked out. And uh, <laughs> but this is an unreleased Dylan song, and it, it, what was it that drew you to this song initially? And what, when did you first hear it? Well, I first heard this one back uh, around 20 years ago. I I um, had a bootleg that was actually, um, it was thumbing the nose at Dylan's bootleg series. It was called the Genuine Bootleg Series. And so it was a series of CDs that had all these unreleased songs from Bob Dylan. And amongst them, they had this song, Guess I'm Doing Fine. And so I had known the song for quite a few years. And as I was putting the album together, I reached out to Dylan's people because I, I got to meet Bob Dylan several years back. And I reached out to his people and I wanted to try to do a co-write of some sort with him. But, um, you know, they said no on the co-write, but they sent down several songs that they thought I would sound good singing. And Guess I'm Doing Fine was one of the songs. So then all of a sudden it, it allowed me to sort of go back in time to when I used to play the song. And I sort of rearranged it a little bit more for the album. And so I, I started to notice that it had this really... It, it had a nice feel for bluegrass mm -hmm. and I could see it having that sort of that structure. And so when I started to put it together, I started to find my, my way to, to make it into a bluegrass number. And it, it dawned on me that I should get some fiddle on it. And that's when I decided to call Sam Bush and, and I've known Sam for several years and, and he was kind enough to put a, a little fiddle part on there. And yeah, it just came together really nicely.
Yeah, it almost seems like it, it was an, an original bluegrass song, the way you, you, you've done it. You kind of claimed it here as your own in a way. Um, yeah, well, you know, that was one of the things that, that Ted Hutton and I wanted to do when bringing a Dylan song in, knowing that it, it is it is Bob Dylan's material. We wanted to break away from it sounding exactly like the original demo recording, which, again, the only recording that, that Bob Dylan ever did was the one demo recording that he did for the Whitmark and Sons, uh, company back in early 1964 and so it was sort of a raw cut just Dylan with his guitar and in doing it for the album I wanted to open up the spectrum and see what could we do with with this demo and how could we uh, shape it so it would be something that I could claim as my own. I think it worked and was was putting this together like well I guess my first question is has, has Bob heard it? <laughs> Yeah, he he has. Uh, we did get a. That's awesome. Um, huh. In response via email, uh, <laughs> I think that's the best awesome. we'll be able to do. But that's a good one for me. And I ain't never had much money, but I still get around somehow. No, I ain't never had much money, but I still get around somehow. Many times. One thing I was always wondered is, you know, you as an artist, like for me as a fan, you know, hearing music and just being so infatuated with it, you know, I would just be like awestruck to be even emailing Bob Dylan's people and for you to to do it and then get that praise back. What's it like to, to just to get that? Is it mean much or is it just like, yeah, it's a day at the office or is it like, oh, my gosh, like that's just the coolest thing ever? Because it would be as a fan, I'd be I'd be I'd probably die. Oh, I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's just it's one of the best feelings that, to ever get. I was most awestruck when we first got in touch with them and that they actually responded to us for to get the song. I think that was the most exciting one for me was that we first were able to get them to uh, recommend a song. So when it came yeah. to the actual praise afterward, that was something that that was just icing right on the top of it. Yeah, well, I wanted to go back to something that you said earlier when you were corresponding with his team and, and they said they thought your voice would, would suit this song well. And when I was listening to this, I mean, you do have, and I mean, you know this already, but your voice, it's, you know, you, you can sing so many different things or styles of music, but I know you probably, I think a lot of people mostly you know, listen to you the way you play this, all those instruments. And I just wonder, like, as a as a vocalist, and when did you realize the power of your own voice that you could do so many different things with it and that you can, yeah, I guess that's not the first question there. Well, you know, one of the things from the very beginning that I was always drawn to when I was listening to music before I started to play it was people's unique voices. And that was something that I've, I've always tried to showcase whenever I've done any of my records is showcase different vocal styles. And that's one of the things that I I've sometimes try to feel like that sets me apart from, from a lot of musicians because I try to use different vocal stylings to convey different emotions and different feelings out of each of the songs that I'm doing. And I, I call it vocal contortionism. Mm -hmm. And so in doing that, it, it allows, 
you know, there's just a different flavor that can be pulled out of a song when you sing it in a different way. Um, and when you put a different emphasis on the words or, or, or what have you. And that's one of the things that I was, I was drawn into, especially when I've heard people like Bob Dylan or Eric Anderson, they have such unique, distinctive voices that when I could translate that into something that I could do myself, I found that when evoking those tones and those styles, it allowed people to sort of be transported in a certain type of way. And so that's something that over time I found my own particular voice within all of that. So it's always, at first I was trying really hard to sound like everybody else, but then I was able to find something that fit my own style. And, and that, that ended up happening over the years. So I kind of just uh, stumbled right into my own voice. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you think of Dylan, to me the, the album that he sings differently than anything else is Nashville Skyline. Yeah. But I feel like you do so much more on on this album, but also you on all of your records. You have very you you do so much with your voice, and I just I don't know I, I don't feel like I pay enough attention to that stuff. So I just wanted to to flag that that just I love how you do all that stuff. And um, I appreciate it. It's one of the things I try to do. I try instead of because always you know some people have their their albums preset in a certain order. They just record it as written down, and then they put it out. But I've always tried to make sure that I um, I look at each individual song as its own individual story and its own individual, you know, I think of them like singles. Mm-hmm. And so I think of each one as their own individual story and single that need to be told. And so with each single, there's a vocal style that needs to match to it and an instrument style that needs to match. So I always try to be very, very conscious of how I'm putting each individual song together. So I'm glad that you you, you noticed that because that's something that I try to do individually so that when it's it's all laid out, you can you can appreciate each individual song just as much as you can appreciate the whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, like I said, I just the way you do it, it just it mesmerizes me. So I appreciate the effort and the skill that must take. So it's funny that we'll wrap up with the one song that doesn't have vocals and that's songs to revival and this one i'll just tell you up front i love the pogues they were the pogues were like my intro to so many different types of music including bluegrass in a way so i, I knew if we were going to able to have a conversation that i'd be talking about this song even though there's there's no words or lyrics but um i just loved it when bands like that and you do this so much too you 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 don't just play the song i mean or the type of music you try to bring things different elements different cultures to it so how did this one come together with with james fernley and who else is on you with this track is it just the two of you or is it other other former folks members well this one was a very unique one so the just to run the personnel down james fernley on the piano accordion then mark orell who plays on several other tracks as well but from the dropkick murphys mm-hmm. and then ted hutt of course is one of the founding members of flogging molly so that's our that's everybody there and then i'm playing the rest of them 
and that one that one was interesting because I had the basic melody for this little banjo number. I had had it written out, and I had it. I had been messing with it for a little bit leading up to the session, but I couldn't figure out exactly what I wanted to do with it. And so with that one, I really left it in Ted's hands to work out. And that's why we ended up co-writing it together. I kind of left it to Ted and I said, here, I've got this little melody. What do you think we could do with it? And he told me that James might be around and he asked if I wanted James to play on the track. And I said, well, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I want James Fernley on this track. And so we ended up turning it into a little sort of pub session right there in the studio and so that was a beautiful uh, moment to have all of that come together and, and also as sort of an ending statement for the record it ended up being a wonderful way to kind of tip my hat to everybody that uh, are fans of mine all around the world it sort of turned into a sort of a world a world spectrum uh, song that um you know that was sort of like a just a raising of the glass mm -hmm. because um after all of the hardships that everybody's had it that I wanted that to be sort of the, you know, I wanted it to seem like the sun was rising at the end of the record. Mm. That was one of the ways that we did that. And so it was just great. And everybody had just a big time coming together and playing this little number. Were you able to do this actually in the studio together? Well, we were, um, we were, uh, Mark and Ted and I set it down. Uh, and then we had James come in later and, and he had, he did the, he did his piano accordion over what we had done, but we were all, we were all in the studio in, in separate sections because mm -hmm. Mark, Mark couldn't stay around for that one. But yeah, we were jamming and set it up so that James could just knock out a, a wonderful, accordion part and so I was there and we were um, working with James in the studio. Because I know, like during COVID, people who were recording, they they, they couldn't really do that. Being in the same studio with others, and I mean, almost for you, as I mean, we all went through that, and it obviously affected musicians almost as much as anyone, if not more than any others, just given how it affected your your business and your your life. And I wonder if how much of, of just that 
being back together was how how much therapy that was therapeutic for you just to do that again oh absolutely because when we were in the studio it was sort of right at the time when they started to really reduce the restrictions when we were in right around december 2021 we were they were pulling back a lot of the restrictions on things like that in the studio so it was one of the first times that i was able to get together with folks and and really spend some time on on a, a record and yeah it was i mean very therapeutic and very cathartic to be able to bring these songs to life and then also to be able to sit with all the other folks who were on it like david hidalgo jr who was on the drums and mac mark orello i mentioned before and then matt pin playing on these the the pedal steel i mean it was great to be able to connect with everybody and then just have a wonderful a wonderful session where we were able to keep it stripped down, but we were able to really make these songs shine in a really big way. Mm-hmm. Also, Dom, I greatly appreciate your, your time this afternoon. And as, as we kind of wrap things up, where do you see you going, see going from here? Well, I mean, I'm going to just keep on traveling. I'm going to keep on playing my music and, and I'm going to start working on some new songs for another record. And I'm pretty sure that I'll just keep on, you know, making the music like I've been doing for, for close to 20 years now and and yeah I'm, I'm excited about everything that's come down the pipeline for traveling wildfire and also actually the the title song from the album was recently um, put into a docu-series called the real wild west that came out on curiosity stream and so that's a wonderful four-part documentary on the wild west and and the diverse figures of the wild west so that that was a uh, that's a wonderful feather in the cap that came down the way. And so, yeah, I'll just keep on doing it. Keep on knocking it out. Well, my thanks again to Dom Clements for joining me. The TheAmericanSongster.com. Go buy his record. Go buy the physical copy of the CD or whatever. If you see him coming to your town, go check him out. But get the stuff in your hand because it is so much better than the stuff you're going to hear on the stream. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for Dom for joining me. And we'll talk to you soon.